the angle it looked like from where we were, we were sitting behind it, a weapon seemed to come around from the driver's door or this evidence happening so fast around that time. It's just, it, it, it's one thing after another. For any journalist, you do want to be there when when things are happening, but when uh, when bullets are flying and, and guns are being pointed at you, uh, it, it kind of changes your perspective on that a wee bit. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Seven years ago this week, journalist Alan Sherry was sent on a news assignment that was like no other. And on an otherwise ordinary Friday, he found himself right in the middle of the Regency Hotel gun attack. Today, Alan gives myself and Niall Donald an eyewitness account of the infamous incident at the centre of the trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch. We also discuss the conviction of a member of a Cornelius Price kidnap gang for conspiracy to blackmail two businessmen and the plot which links the mob boss with the murder of Robbie Lawler. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So it is hard to believe that it's seven years, Alan. Yeah, time flies, I suppose, when you think about it. It it does feel in some ways like yesterday, but obviously a lot's happened since then as well. And tell me this much, because we can't, because you're on Zoom. Have you gone grey like the rest of us? <laughs> I haven't, no. <laughs> Not yet. Oh, have I? Sorry, I have. I have. have. <laughs> Excuse me, yeah, no. Sorry, I thought you were talking about my screen. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I've definitely definitely gone a lot grey than I was. Yeah, I've put on a few pounds as well. Uh, so. I don't know, I don't know. I don't you have know. to deal with that. That's middle age for you. It is. So you there recently and you didn't look any different to me. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, a few drinks taken, Walter. So... Next week, Saturday, is the 5th of February, the famous day. Yeah. And uh, I've just, and Niall has just finished covering that, the trial, the Regency trial, where, of course, the photograph, the famous photograph came up again and again that was taken by Ernie Leslie and run on our front page, the photograph of Flat Cap and another individual dressed in drag running from the Regency Hotel. And obviously that photograph... The story behind it being taken is something that you'll be probably telling your grandchildren down the road. It's like it, it was an extraordinary moment. Like as journalists, we like to get up close and personal to a story. And it's great to be there when things are happening. But this was a little bit too close for comfort. Yeah, I think so. Like like you say, of course, for any journalist, you do want to be there when, when things are happening. But when... Uh, when bullets are flying and, and guns are being pointed at you, uh, it, it kind of changes your perspective on that a wee bit. So look, it was a Friday and uh, we were all sort of in the office and Fridays are busy enough for the Sunday world because obviously we publish uh, late on Saturday night into Sunday and Daniel Kinahan was in town. There was a boxing weigh-in out at the Regency Hotel We'd covered loads of these boxing weigh-ins before, and there was nearly a reluctance to, to yeah. cover it. I mean, like for all the the, the the conspiracy theories that emerged in the aftermath, it was, if not an afterthought, it was it was certainly wasn't the focus of the morning. Um, when Alan was sent on the road with Ernie Leslie, um, like we had got the Daniel Kinnan and and some of his associates in City in City West, was it? Uh, yeah, that was maybe a year previous and it yes. was another boxing way well, in, and in. In the, in the South Inner City then, we'd, we'd had pictures of them and having coffee after one of the other way in. So it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't something that we were, you know. Yeah, because I suppose to explain to people when you're like, when you're getting images for uh, a newspaper, you kind of want 
okay, you can have the posed shot of somebody posing for the camera. And obviously these, you know, gangsters and, and people operating in the underworld aren't going to do that for you. So what you're trying to do is get photographs of them, you know, to show them in as much as a natural environment as yeah, such as possible. A bit, of, a bit of action. A bit of action. You want them away from the courts because they're very samey pictures and they walk down the court steps or that kind of thing. You're probably more guaranteed to get them there. But so the boxing weigh-ins, they it was all the same. They were all dressed in tracksuits and all the rest of it. But nonetheless, you take up Alan and uh, tell us what happened when you left the office. Yeah, well, myself and Ernie drove out uh, to the Regency, I suppose. We got there quite early. Uh, the, the weigh-in wasn't due to happen until around two, half two. We'd been there for a little bit beforehand. Um, and had been. we parked at various uh, different spots just in the car park outside the Regency and, and driving up by the Regency and took a few different pictures of some of the people. There, there was a few of the Kinnan kind of associates had gone in. We'd got a few pictures of them. David Byrne had gone in, Lean Byrne had gone in. Did you see uh, David we, Byrne, yeah, going in? Yeah, yeah, I think Ernie should have a picture of him going in, I think, um, that we got before. Obviously, um, Lean Rowe, people like that. There was a few few, few different people that we'd known, we'd recognised um, from, from the Sunday world that were there. So we, we were basically just there taking pictures, seeing who was there. Um, you weren't going to go in then, like it was more the no, point. No, I, I, was... po I popped in briefly. Um, I was only in there probably for a minute or two. Um, I know the, the Evening Herald were there at the same time and Robin Schiller was in more in the room itself um, just before the shooting took place. But no, myself and Ernie were mostly outside, uh, kind of circling around different positions outside just to see who's coming and going, trying to spot the different people. The easiest place to do that really was on the door because they all had to come out to generally the same door and they were mostly coming out the front entrance. So what happened? What sort of time of day was it? Was it two o'clockish? It was about half two. Well, we'd been there from beforehand and we and we we took those pictures. So we that had all happened. Um just before half two is when things really kicked off. Um by that stage we were parked just at Seven Oaks. It's a it's an estate in almost the grounds of the, the Regency. It's a, a kind of complex there with the, there's a centre across from it, there's a the Regency and then a little estate. So we were we were facing towards the, the centre there. We could see people walking by past us. Um and at that stage we just heard a loud bang um and both turned to each other. Like given what the event was, um a loud bang like that obviously uh, draws your concern. So and we were about to start moving around the corner after hearing the bang when we were just seeing a, a load of people come flying by, running out towards the Swords Road. Um, some of them were on foot. There was people jumping in cars and speeding away at, at high speed onto the, I think, mounting different paths as they were on the way. That all happened quite quickly. We came around uh, the corner then. You're talking only a few metres around the corner and uh, we spotted a, a grey van and pulled up outside uh, the entrance to the hotel. There was there was a person in the van who seemed to be armed with a, an assault rifle. And there, were, there were people to the right of the van, kind of almost tripping over, falling over and running, trying to get into bushes, which were to, to the side opposite the hotel. Um, and the weapon was being pointed at them. So the driver of the van had the weapon? It seemed that well, yeah, from 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 our perspective, at some stage, the driver of the van had a weapon because from the angle it looked like from where we were, we were sitting behind it. Um, a weapon seemed to come around from the driver's door yeah. towards us um, and, and pointed back at us. And was the driver like you say, people were in in bushes? The driver was kind of warning people to stay back, maybe. Yeah, th there was a gun being waved at this stage. I hadn't seen the, the different tack one, two, and three, um, so I was only aware. 
of a gun pointing out at a van. Um, that was all happening quite quickly. It seemed to be waving over to the right, almost warning people to stay out of the way. So that would have been um, a third a third gun. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've tried to do the maths on that myself, um, on to the, 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 who, who was armed and who wasn't, and whether that was someone who was inside or who was back out. But it, it, that seemed to be the driver who was armed with, a, with an assault rifle, because by that stage... We had two I hadn't inside. Seen, I hadn't the seen the Lashica. people inside with the assault the rifle. So the first, yeah, the first sign of that was, was the one coming, sticking out of the van at us. Mm. Um, and that, that was pointing uh, at different people just ahead of it. Um, it was around this time Ernie then spotted uh, the person known as this flat cap, who we obviously know now as Kevin Murray, and then the the man dressed as a lady in a, in a wig uh, running towards the van uh, armed with handguns, and that's when he fired off a few uh, in excuse upon the shots with the camera of of those people and, and and took that famous picture. At the same time he was taking that picture, um, the person in the van had had swung the assault rifle around towards us. And I don't think Ernie had noticed it, so I shouted at him uh, to, to let him know that was happening. Um, and had he, and had we, he seen Ernie, you think, with the camera at that point, or was he...? I don't think that the, the person... No, we, we were very close to that van. Obviously, everyone else was running away from it, so I don't know what the driver of the van thought, if he thought it, it might have been Gardy coming behind him or someone from a criminal gang coming to box them in and... and or whatever. I, I don't know. I suppose they probably weren't expecting a car to come up and drive towards them. Um, so I'd imagine they were rattled as well with the whole situation because they see a Jeep coming up behind us. I, I don't know what they thought. I don't know if they had a, a good view of Ernie's camera at that stage. They may have or they may not. It's it, it's hard to tell what angle they had on it. And with the press cameras, which we all know well, yeah. like it's not, mm. it's not like a normal camera where you have to kind of hold it and press it and maybe wait a few seconds. Like mm. they... Get, they get about 20 shots a second, do they? And they're a big lens, so yeah. they, you know what I mean? They aren't exactly like, you know what I mean? Even if you're looking into a car, you could see them and the lens would probably have been out the window. But did Ernie, did he have it up for long? He just really has to hold it up for a second to get those shots. Exactly, yeah. No, everything was happening very quickly. This isn't, you're not talking about yeah. like a, a, a long time where this was happening, where every, everything was happening in, 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 in like at a, at a glacial pace. This was all very instantaneous, all at the same time. In fact, like Ernie spotting uh, Flat Cap and, and, and the man in the wig was this, the exact same time. I was actually looking at the, the, the man with the assault rifle turning yeah. it on us. Um, so both of us weren't watching either of the other things at the same time, but then became aware of them through each other by, by then being having our attention drawn to it. Uh, I, yeah. I think I shouted around that time at Ernie to reverse because I thought that the, the gunman was I'm sure you probably told him to this. effing reverse, you know. If <laughs> I may have, yeah, yeah. I may have, yes. Um, can I, I ask you there, did. Alan, did you, yeah. like, I mean, it all happened and it was, that's pretty traumatic and not mm. your average day's work, but did you see the driver of the van? Was he or she covered or could you make out anything? No, I, could, I couldn't see, like, you know, it's seven years ago now, but from my recollection, I couldn't see much other than, my initial viewpoint was a, was a weapon coming out, from, from my perspective, it seemed to be a weapon coming out the driver's door of the van. It was to the right of the van, um, pointing out, initially, as I say, pointing in kind of a head uh, and not towards us, and then turning around and, and then pointing towards us. But you see, as we've seen in the in the case and with the CCTV evidence and what was brought up in the defence really is, of course, that sometimes when you're looking into a car window, depending on where the sun is, depending on what's happening with the weather, the rain, sometimes you can see nothing through no. a, a, a car window. You mm. know, you're just getting a glare back and you can't make out whether there's one person or anything in it. 
uh, and it's just if they lean out or whatever of the car that that's the bit you see but um so you know yeah and this, those... this was this was obviously a, a van with with no windows in the back of it as well so like it's it, it, you're not seeing through it from behind to true. see what's going on in it you're only and because you're nearly parallel with it from behind or not parallel but you're you're behind it so you're not getting a side on view of the window either it's i know it's, what you uh, mean you're, it's, you're it's, looking it's into the blackness basically so how long did it take for flat cap and the man and drag to they left the hotel door to get into the van. It was seconds, was it? That, that yeah, it, it, it seemed to be, yeah. Um, it, it seemed to be, like I can't remember exactly now. At yeah. the time, I suppose everything's happening so fast around that time. It's just, it, it's one thing after another because there was so much to look at between the flat cap and the the, the man in the wig and the, uh, the, the gunman in the van. But there was also a lot of people, you know, there were a lot of terrified people around it as well. So there was big groups of people Kind of in against the wall at the Regency beyond the um, beyond the entrance. In fact, it was a group that seemed to be trying to shield someone. I didn't get a, a look at that stage at who they were trying to shield, but it was almost like a group had formed around someone lying down to try and stop the the gunman. Maybe they thought that that person was going to be a target. I don't know who it was. Still don't. Mm. So they then did the, the the two. Did they jumped into the back of the van? Did you? Is that the way? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I assume I like I I can't even remember what way everyone got into the van. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose as I say, with the different things that was going on, there was just so much happening. But at at some point, not too long after that, everyone seemed to be back in the van. Um, and the van started making its way up. Then once everyone had been back towards uh, there, there's a gated apartment complex, kind of Grace Park, um, apartment complex. There, the van drove up towards there. We we slightly followed it uh, for a while, but um, they need the gate was locked, so the van obviously the people in the van had a key fob for it, but they they pressed the key fob. But obviously, you know yourself from from going up to any of these gates, they don't open very quickly. So it's kind of a strange situation where you've just had this very fast paced shootout, and then suddenly you have a van waiting, <laughs> you know, what seems like eternity for this gate to open so slowly and. We, we, we'd initially kind of gone up towards it and then I pointed out to Ernie, um, you know, if we're going to follow this thing, it's stuck at the gate. What do you think they're going to do? You know, will they have that time to think who the, who are these people behind us? You know, anything could happen. So we kind of pulled back a bit then from it and let it go through. Um, once again, Ernie was considering following the van through the, <laughs> the complex. Have but, a go, um, Ernie, eh? As we were unarmed and there was there was only two of us, I don't think, uh, no. you know, his camera and my words were going to stop them. So once again, thought a bit better at that. That, that. The van went on through, obviously, to the other side of our apartment complex, went out another gate and then on up to a, another estate up in, in, in Drumcondra. Um, I think most people would know the kind of uh, what happened there. And little did he know he had the picture of his career anyway in the in the camera. Or, or did um, he? Did he know? At that no, point? he did. No, no, he knew very quickly because um, obviously, as as both the pair of you would know, um, you can look at the back of those cameras and um, and you can see the the pictures instantaneously and have a good look at them. So no, I knew immediately um, after it happened what he had. Um, <laughs> it didn't take long. Like once those people had. Um, had gone through the gate, um, and that that it all happened. We looked at the pictures and 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 knew exactly what it, you know what he had. But given that he thought that he had uh, one gunman and one woman free, fleeing for her life, mm. um, I think it was only when the photograph was pinged into the office and we put it up on the biggest 
production screen. Um, oh. Well, I mean, it was a very, because I actually do remember you phoning me straight after and saying, yeah. saying, um, you know, there were shots and we got a picture and just actually initially thinking. Yeah, I, actually, I joking. do. I, I think I think you were the first person I called, yeah. uh, Niall, um, and I think you thought I was taking the piss. Yeah, I did. I did because, because if you remember, mm-hmm. like, we actually didn't have great expectations sending out. It was kind of all, yeah. yeah. So actually, I did think you were, ta- I thought you were just joking. Oh, we got mm. a gunman and there were shots fired and it's going, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah whatever, yeah. And then yeah, everything yeah. went crazy my, after that. But I mean, it's an am- amazing thing to have witnessed. I'm sure, like, there's two bits there that you could probably rather at the time you weren't where you were. And yeah. at the same time, it's probably, it's just one of those things that uh, you can speak about with so much color and real life experience because of where you were. Mm. Did you get that? Yeah, but I, I I don't think there's too many people who were there that day were you know would look back fondly on it at all. No. Um, like well, like a lot of the people there, there were people like obviously after the, that, that gang had, had gone off through the gates, we, we were we stayed in the scene for a, a couple of hours after that. But even in the immediate aftermath, there was people bursting into tears. There was one of the boxers vomited um, who'd just been at the way in. Uh, Liam Rowe, who's obviously a cousin of, of David Byrne from Recollection, was coming out looking very upset and angry. Um, you know, you had you had Sean McGovern um, who'd been shot, telling guards to fuck off. Slightly hostile atmosphere towards the press, obviously there as well. People who are associated to killing cartel obviously wouldn't be big fans of the the Sunday World. Nor the Herald, obviously, were there. Robin Schiller and Colin Rudin. But um, yeah, it was a strange. Even the aftermath of it was very strange. It was a, the whole experience very strange. And how, how quickly were the the police on the scene? Like how. That before Gardy arrived, like which is also, I would. S- the first guard I saw came around. If you know that location, Niall, yeah. um, there, there was a, a restaurant down at the, the front of it. I don't know at that time what was open or not. That the place always changed its hands. The first guard I noticed had come around from the front from the storage road, uh, around that building and put a guard a cap on, um, like a baseball cap. That was probably only. A couple of minutes after the, the the gang had gone through the the gates, um, I assumed there was Guardy nearby at the time, um, as there would be at, a, at something like that. But obviously, there wasn't a strong guard of presence. Um, yeah, and Alan, the, the wins. you ended up you had to give a statement, I think, in relation to it, along with other witnesses that were there on yeah. the day. And um, Ernie had to give evidence in two court cases. They didn't call you, no. They did call me for the first one um, for Patrick Hutch's trial. It was I did have to give evidence. Um, Is that nerve wracking? Yeah, it's not enjoyable going up to court in any situation. Even if if, if you're only up to give evidence, as uh, you know, in a in a in a libel case. Um, well, that's actually probably worse in a way. Um, yeah. But going to the special criminal court, obviously, you know, you have a lot of people from both sides who are in that court. You, you, you know, you have relatives of the people who are accused. You have relatives of the people who were shot. Um, yeah, it's 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 not an enjoyable experience and, and not something I'd, I'd want to repeat anytime soon. What was your own emotional reaction? Obviously, you've written about that for many years before and subsequently, but to actually see something like that, did it? Did you have a? Uh, did it change how you perceive these things? I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. Like uh, I remember at the time, um, Mick O'Toole from the start arrived on the scene a while later. He hadn't been at the, the way in. Um, I, I think I was still a bit in shock after because he said to me, God, you look very white. And I, I was like, what are you talking about? I feel fine, you know? And I, I thought it was grand at the time. And he said, no, Jesus, you, you look terrible. 
<laughs> but I think a lot of people who are there probably like that. It kind of kicks in later, the experiences like that. Um, like, you know, there was obviously a BBC journalist at a, a gun pointed at him there. There was um, staff members at hotels, members of the public. Robin Schiller had a gun pointed at him. A lot of people there, I'd imagine for any of them, if you ask, um, you know, when you think about it days later, it's probably a bit of a post uh, you know, post-traumatic stress or something, but you know, it'll kick in later. That like, Jesus mm. Christ, you know, and um, it takes your brain a while to catch up with it. And Alan, the gunfire—that first noise you heard—that mm. is it unmistakable? I thought so. Yeah, um, from myself and Ernie, um, it was funny. I'd see money because it was the last time he said it, it took him a while to, to cop it was gunfire. My recollection of it is we said straight away that's gunshots and. Immediately had gone around, so I I thought it was from my recollection. All right, mm. it's a crackling. Yeah, it's a it's it's a loud sound. Um, but yeah, I, I think the context of of the event that was on, yeah, um, as well. You know, you mix that in. If you were just sitting at the shops, maybe and heard that, mm. you you might think what was that. But um, I think if you're at an event that the the Kinahan cartel are at, and you know that there's a feud ongoing at the time, and you hear a sound like that, you know give a bit of a head start in your brain as to what it might be. And of course, you know, you're talking about the trauma of it and the fear that everybody felt, but inside, and a lot of this has been forgotten, I suppose, in the coverage of the Regency and the celebrity of it and all the rest of it, in the reception was David Byrne lying dead, having been shot a number of times um, and lying in a pool of blood. Now, that must have been so traumatic for anyone who saw it and obviously for his family hearing that news. That yeah. day, yeah, yeah, exactly. Obviously, and, and and unfortunately, a lot of people obviously would have seen that because of where that happened. It was at the reception desk, so a lot of people would have had to to, to walk past getting out, and um, if they hadn't already fled. Now, obviously, I know some people have got out by then, but yeah, um, a lot more people saw that. That I'm sure none of them wanted to see it. Mm. Yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing too. that the photograph, like it's as you said, it's seven years this week, but again, it featured. Featured in both the the, the prosecution's uh, closing speech and the defence's closing speech again. It's also obviously was really became the central focus of the trial of of Patrick Hutch Jr., which ultimately he was the null prosecutor was entered for a number of different reasons. It's just amazing that the how that picture has still seven years later. It's it still was a focus for both. I mean the the the, the closing speech. You know, regard in 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 that Jonathan Dowdle said he he recognised Patrick Hutch Jr. from it, and that was disputed because it was pixelated. We've gone into that again. It's just, it's it's something that'll. Uh, it's just it's just gone on and on, and mm. people must always talk to you about it, Alan, as well. Do they still or? On occasion, yeah, yeah. I suppose it's one of them pictures, though, isn't it? That, like, how often have you seen a picture so clear from a scene, and you know, from a murder like that, um, where you you have two people who are, you know, I suppose you could say they're very recognisable. Um, I mean, they're so clearly running with guns in their hand. It's like you do see CCTV or you see maybe phone footage of different things like that, but it was just, I suppose, it was the the fact um, it was so clear and everything else. Just... I always thought it looked like a scene from a Tarantino movie. Yeah, I mean, mm. it, is, it is. I can't think of it realistically outside of war photography and something like mm -hmm. that. I cannot think of another photograph that is no. equivalent. Uh, no, and I think, I suppose the fact that, the, that the, the, the man was dressed as a woman as well kind of added a whole new element to it, you know, like it was an attempt at a, at a disguise 
um, you know, added a whole dynamic to the picture, I suppose, as well. The, and, and even the flat cap, you know, it was... It indeed, was, yeah, I suppose. You know, like, he even became known as flat cap, I suppose, didn't he, after that? It um, just shows you, like, you never was, know... He was actually you... constantly referred to as flat cap by the senior oh, council. Oh, yeah, was, even, I, I know. <laughs> even in, in this trial, they were... <laughs> the closing and everything. But just shows you, like, every morning you get up, you have no idea where life oh, is going to bring oh. you or what you're going to face. Or, you know, that was an ordinary day that started out, like an ordinary... Friday in the newsroom and um, you know whatever else it was certainly a very memorable afternoon for all concerned Alan thanks a million um, no you're going to pop off there and we are going to change the subject to something else so thanks a million thanks Alan no problem talk to you folks now we can take off the headphones okay because they're really messing with my hair <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so um, do you like my shirt I do. I think you 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 made you you look. Do you look better on this side of the room? You made me sit on the other side of the room for I just no we'd particular mix it up. reason. Um, but I just thought we'd mix it up because I don't want to end up in a position where I'm. That's my chair and my right, my right, name is right, on. Right. But I mean, I wonder does anybody notice that? It's just that we're on video no, now. No, no. That's no. why I'm saying. Do you like my shirt? It is lovely. Um, so yes, Fantastic. we're on video now for anybody yeah. who's listening to this yeah. on the podcast. We have launched on YouTube, which is new to us and maybe not new to the rest of the world. But anyway, we are certainly putting up one or two of these podcasts a week on the YouTube channel, which is at Crime World Podcast. Crime World Podcast is what it's called, yeah. And actually, the uh, Dingle Whiskey Movie Club is up there as well, which was a live show we did a couple of months ago, which was really good fun. Um, we gave away tickets uh, for that, um, and it was an invite-only uh, show. But it's all about, basically, the um, the real-life criminals who inspired the movies. So, yeah, it's it's if anybody's looking for something to watch, you can go on to that. Um, and there's other stuff besides. Now... Moving on to the other story we want to talk about. There's three stories and I can only remember two, so I hope you remember the third. But anyway, yes. the second one is obviously the big story of the week when it comes to gangland crime. And it's the this trial that's been going on in England. Um, Cornelius Price, who was the sort of overarching leader of the Maguire faction in the, in the Drogheda feud, um, very, very violent, uh, volatile criminal who lived in a kind of a compound up at Gormanston in County Meath. Um, he sort of joined forces with with Owen Maguire, the the mob boss, the uh, wheelchair bound mob boss uh, against uh, the other side, which included Robbie Lawler and Richie Carberry and others who were murdered, some who are still alive. But anyway, he... Um, was caught in the middle of a kidnap plot in the UK. Not long after Robbie Lawler's murder in Belfast, they were caught in the summer of 2020. Robbie Lawler was murdered in Belfast in the April. Um, so Cornelius Price, since this, um, we'll, we'll go into the, the, the kidnap plot now in a minute, but since this, he's had bad luck after bad luck. I mean, the man is in a coma for months, maybe a year. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been... Suffered a, a devastating brain injury, effectively. Um, um, so he has not been. He was charged with this offence. He obviously hasn't been convicted because he, you know, and he hasn't been well enough to attend any court hearings. 
So he remains... So did they, like, just say there was a miracle happened and he came out of that yeah. and, um, like... Well, I mean, you, do, once you could stand, you'd, he'd be, he'd stand trial as long as he's fit to stand trial. Medically. As long as he's fit. So he yeah. they couldn't have sort of tried him in his No, they wouldn't absence. try him with an absence because you've... Like, it's, you have a right to mount a defence and he is an innocent man until proven guilty, you know, mm-hmm. so he remains mm-hmm. an innocent man. Such a strange story, and he's only 40. Yeah. Um, like, for somebody who went through life with such violence, he's suspected of a lot of... Yeah. A lot of... Um, very violent crimes and um, I mean it was his associates that are suspected of the disappearance of uh, Willie Mon Willie Mon and, and his Anna girlfriend Slava yeah uh, they were last seen at that compound up in Gormanston um, his family Willie Mon's family have repeatedly begged 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 for information as to the whereabouts so they can give their son a proper burial um, Cornelius Price never no. felt enough empathy to certainly encourage anybody that was involved in it to come forward or to give them information. The graves uh, of other family members have been attacked. It's been pretty, he's had a pretty awful uh, life. And, you know, in a way it's it's strange now that at 40 he's lying in a coma and it's almost like, it's almost like the, the curse of that draw had a feud, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it. he certainly was regarded as being in the Premier League of criminals in, in this country and one of the most uh, dangerous people operating in the underworld. And I think this case um, shows that a kind of a different international aspect to, to Irish criminality. Um, we've obviously spoken constantly now about the Kinnan cartel and the Morocco mafia and all these kind of international connections. But there is another uh, kind of groupings in Ireland and they have very, very deeply embedded in criminality in the UK. Um, and I think this case shows that that some of those connections um, where where Irish criminals and, and criminals from the UK interchange, move around and, you know, become involved in in, in different aspects outside of the, the kind of the big glamorous drug trafficking business. Yeah. Um, now, this gang and this case we're talking about in the UK, the gang was headed at the time by the very well Cornelius Price uh, before his illness struck. Um, and it was basically two men were abducted and it was a blackmail plot. They were threatened that they would be killed if they didn't come up with £300,000 in ransom. Five others involved in this. Yeah, five um, five other people were charged um, and... N- the vast majority of these charges and these people have been found not guilty. There's only one single Irish man that has been convicted uh, in, in relation to this offence. Kidnapping charges were brought against a number of people and conspiracy to, to, to blackmail and conspiracy to false imprisonment were brought. Mm-hmm. There's only one person, um, a guy called Darren McLean, who's been convicted um, and he's been convicted of uh, arguably a lesser uh the lesser charge, which is conspiracy to blackmail and conspiracy to falsely imprisoning. The basic story of it, again, involves this, this web of connections. Um, these two people who who are kidnapped, uh, businessmen from, from that local area, um, they were kidnapped and brought to a home in, in, in Highbury uh, near where Arsenal play football, and they were told... They told police subsequently that they thought they were to collect a debt or a debt 
they were being spoken to about a debt that they owed to Warren Crossan. Warren Crossan, since murdered, was murdered in the aftermath of Robbie Lawler's murder. Crossan is seen as his connection in the north, uh, the son of a dissident who was also murdered. Yeah, very. Um, so Warren Crossan actually, yeah, he was shot dead in 2020. The sort of general feeling is it's in 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 a possible revenge attack for the murder of Robbie Lawler. He was suspected of setting up Robbie Lawler, um, who was ultimately shot dead. So these guys were brought. Uh, they were subsequently uh, uh, imprisoned, or you know, certainly held. And this gang of people, uh, mostly of Irish men, uh, threatened them with machetes. They gave evidence in court that they were told that their fingers would be chopped off. Um, they initially believed they were speaking about a debt that was worth seven and a half thousand. But these men subsequently, according to them, were demanding up to 300,000 before they'd be released. Um, so it went, it was a long, very, very long trial. I think it said 40 hours of deliberation by the jury. Yes. Who didn't believe, obviously, the evidence in relation to four of the men charged, they only believed and accepted yeah. the evidence in relation to this Darren McLean, a 37-year-old um, in the conspiracy. So it's unusual that the victims gave evidence in the court. Um, yeah, I mean, a suggestion it's, it's, they were being protected or in witness protection. No, it, I, I don't think it's said. I mean, it, it seems to have been, um, no, it, it, they didn't, mm. certainly from, from what my reading of it is, but it. I suppose it shows the... Um, you know, they, they did speak about and, and gave evidence about, you know, being blindfolded, being warned they'd have their brains splattered all over the road, that they were held at a caravan site in Cambridgeshire, um, that they were made washed with Dettol spray, forced to call their relatives. They were put on phones to people uh, mm. looking to raise money. Um, so Darren McLean, of course, didn't respond well after he was found guilty. He shouted, this is bullshit, adding, this court is corrupt to the backbone. The decision was wrong. Mm. And another man, one of the men cleared um, of two counts of conspiracy was Quincy Bramble, who, of course, we have also um, heard of in, in a recent court case in, 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 in Belfast. Yeah, because Joe Brawley, the barrister who is representing a man who's charged in relation to the murder of Robbie Lawler, um, he, Joe Brawley has applied for bail for his client and in applying for bail, he has put forward to the court what he believed happened when Robbie Lawler was shot dead. And what he's told the court is that this was basically a big double cross that involved members of the Dundon gang from Limerick, uh, in particular, Ger Dundon, Levi Dundon, whose father, of course, is John Dundon, who's imprisoned, um, and the other man being Quincy Bramble. The three of them were... Um, arrested by the PSNI in the very quick aftermath of Robbie Lawler's murder, but they were allowed to go free without charge. And in particular, Levi Colleen was freed on unconditional, unconditionally, yeah, so. they call it. So in other words, they never want to speak to him again. Um, the PSNI have repeatedly said, or certainly the, the prosecutors in the case have repeatedly said that uh, the PSNI are sort of still investigating this, but they don't believe that these three men had anything to do with the murder. Yeah, certainly they were taken in in the immediate aftermath, could have been charged. Uh, if there was evidence, there clearly wasn't evidence and they were released and are not uh, not facing any criminal charges in connection. But nonetheless, they are. 
their names have been spoken about. Well, they showed the, up, of course, with court. Cornelius Price, which is a strange thing. Quincy yes. Bramble has shown up then months later with Cornelius Price, who yeah. was one of um, those that celebrated the murder of Robbie Lawler. Absolutely. Raised a glass on social media um, of uh, rum Rosh. and, yeah, toasted it. So, so it's all a very uh, complex, but it's interesting that Quincy Bramble should show up there, of course, not guilty, but yeah. nonetheless, he's within that. And just to, to say that there's a guy, Danny Bridges, um, allows a man called Mark Cavanaugh, who's from the Drogheda area originally, and Lisa Marie Finnerty. They were all cleared of two counts of conspiracy to falsely in prison and two of conspiracy to blackmail. So they are uh, proven to be innocent on, in, in Right. A really interesting case, um, you know, that I'm sure there was loads of uh, evidence from that that we missed because we weren't covering it ourselves. We were getting yeah, stuff but into it does, the court of order. But, yeah, it shows um, the, these interconnections. It's it just does, amazing it? that each of these cases and all of a sudden they're, yeah. you know, they're, they're spiraling in into each other, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think that Robbie Lawler murder is really, really intricate. Um, and, uh, you know, it's something we might look at a little bit more in depth in the near future. So I suppose at the other end of the scale, um, this week, probably uh, from that kind of murky business, you have arguably the world's biggest drug trafficker. Yeah. Um, a guy called Dario Antonio Usaga David, um, but probably better known as Ottonel. Is that pronounced right? Yeah, I'm think? just calling up a story because I did a really interesting interview about this guy with um, a journalist called Toby Muse. I'm actually going to see will he come back on to talk about this. Um, but he was telling me he covers Colombia and he was telling me about him. I mean, this guy had links to the super cartels. He was supposed to have been the supplier of the sort of the Balkan groupings, which would have been where Eden Gasson and the, the connection for in the super cartel and to uh, Daniel Kinahan was from. We went into, um, he was from, he's the leader, of course, of the Gulf clan cartel. And he lived in the jungle and yeah. hid out in the jungle for a long time. But he was a guy, the weirdest part of it was, right? He was a, an ex kind of military background. Do you know, like in Colombia, a lot of the yeah, drug dealers came Yeah, there were paramilitary groups. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, FARC was disbanded at one point when they said that they were going to, the government was going to give the farmers, um, you know, new industry rather than, to, you know, to try and encourage them to stop producing cocaine. They were going to give them grants to grow bananas and other things like that. And, of course, it never happened. And he kind of came out of all that supposed peace deal that fell through. And um, so he's kind of operates this militia. Like, I mean, this is not a drug dealer, that kind of guy that is uh, living in a big mansion and kicking back with a cigar and dripping in gold jewellery. He wears fatigues, lives in the jungle and weirdly was into this sort of black magic. Yeah. Um, well, no. It didn't didn't ultimately it save didn't do him, anything for him. No, I mean it. The, kind of the one of the the unusual things about it is how quickly he's pled guilty. Um, like he pled guilty in a in in New York this week to yeah basically drug trafficking, and I think that the figure named was one hundred and seven tons of 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 cocaine or ninety six ninety seven thousand kilos. Um, and he had 216 million in cash seized off him. So it was all very quick, like unlike, say, El Chapo or some of these other mm. 
guys who have fought it to the bitter end, um, gone through very, very long court cases. Uh, he was he was extradited only a number of months ago, really, at this stage, and it, and pleads guilty now almost straight away. Um, so I think that that is quite unusual. Very. Um, so a bit, yeah. It it it. I think uh, as part of his extradition, he could he. He he. There were certain limitations to what he could face. He couldn't mm. spend be ordered to face the rest of his life in jail. For example, that had to, there was some deal done with the the Colombian uh, judicial system, and of course his arrest caused widespread chaos. Then in yeah. in parts of Colombia, as after he was arrested, you know the local the cartel basically shut down areas of of you know attacked airports, put up barriers. So there was lots of violence, but. Yeah, look, it's another one of these guys who fly, f- flew very high, but yeah, you know, he's not going to enjoy his, his time behind bars. Um, so tell me this much. Are you going to get your takeaway tomorrow night? <laughs> I might, well, look, you know, what, I'm, I'm you sitting, I'm sitting, as you said, I'm sitting over the other side of the desk now, so that's already one, one what, of my... What number is it that you get every week, the same one no, at the same no, I've, time? No, I've, 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 I've moved on. For those but, uh, of you who don't know, Niall Donald has his lunch every day at, what is it, a minute past one? No, it's actually two minutes past. Sorry, two minutes. I, I, two minutes past one. Um, so, and you're not, you're not taking your normal holiday during when the, the Regency comes back, no? You normally you like to what? take a holiday at the most important time. Do you know what, right? But, this is, I swear to God... Mm. When the date was read out in court, I went, <laughs> Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm actually back from my holly bops <laughs> two days before there it. There you go. So my look has changed. Yes. Or our look even, <laughs> as the management of the Sunday world. <laughs> <laughs> well, for that anyway. But, I mean, God knows what happens, what yeah. will happen in the meantime. It's gone very quiet around Dubai. and Yeah. Yes. But sometimes it, it goes quiet before it gets That's it gets always noisy. the way, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It goes deathly quiet. There isn't yeah. a kind of a whisper out of it. Um, I mean, all I am personally hearing um, is that that paranoia is immense. There's a, a, an absolute desire by Kinahan Senior and Daniel to find out who has been informing on them. Yeah. You know, and like... Not to not to us in the yeah. media, no. But they are cannot believe the amount about their businesses that is known. Yeah. Um. And in particular, that money laundering system that has actually been taken down now yeah. from them. They're still operating to some extent. I hear sometimes you can't totally understand that how you know, but they are still operating. So they're obviously still trying to do deals. They're obviously still trying to ship uh, drugs while um you know. While the whatever's going on in the background is is yeah. happening, it's very hard, I suppose, to stop doing that stuff because there is so much operating on credit and and you know in in that drugs world, like so well, they have to kind of like, keep it I mean, flowing. Like it's but you probably I don't know. Do you put your orders in six months in advance? Is it a little bit like any business? It, prob- it probably is. It you probably pay. They yeah, probably paid for stuff. You know. Yeah. Well, I suppose you don't pay until it arrives, but you know what I mean. Yeah. They've maybe ordered stuff. Maybe they have to. Um, 
you know, everywhere you think the, the book ends, there's somebody else that has to exactly. be paid. Exactly, and I mean, if they're not delivering, so a lot of it is credit, and if they're not delivering it, um, mm. you know, why would people pay them if they're not going to deliver a future system? And in fact, in Raphael Imperiale, it was some of his statement has come out, and he speaks constantly about how everything, he, everybody he dealt with, he was giving them credit, yeah, and then collecting the money in the aftermath rather than yeah. than then purchasing drugs outright from them. So it just shows you that that you need that flow. Yeah, it's a good insight into it yeah. all. Um, but it not it interesting that with all the troubles they have, and my God, don't they? And, you know, I'm sure they're going to bed every night wondering, is tomorrow, what is it going to bring? You know, is this the day that they're puffed, yeah. brought in, um, and like everybody else, sent to wherever territory wants them? Uh, but isn't it interesting that their biggest bugbear yeah. is... Who broke the code? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was it yeah. that has been snitching? Who's the insider? You know, Kinahan Sr. is a highly intelligent yet paranoid individual. And he obviously, I'm sure everybody in their inner circle, I'm sure it's a very dangerous place to be. Yeah, well, they need that code of silence in order to, to and the fear of, they need to have people, the fear mm. of if, if they speak out, what will happen, you know, so... That is a part yeah. of it. Yeah. Well, I understand that there's, you know, the usual, and they've been doing this for years. They're certainly putting out pieces of information to see which way they come back or to see where they pop up. Yeah. I mean, it's a very good way of testing the waters, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I give you a piece of false information. If I hear that back, I know that it's you that has spread it, you know. Like Colleen so Rooney. Be careful. It's what Colleen Rooney did. It is indeed. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> yes. She's clever, yeah. Did yeah. you watch that? that I didn't watch drama it. No, thing? no, no, no. I did, no, yeah. It's no. good. That's kind of all we have to talk about. We're That's fine. Over and out. Thanks. We'll um, we'll be back next week anyway. So thanks, Vicola. Yeah. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from SundayWorld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Clodamini. If you like this show and love true crime. Leave us a review, or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.